guys said. Woo! Yeah, it's good. It's good. Everything's better with about two pounds of C4, right, Mike? Absolutely. That's, good. That, that's like a spiritual experience in itself. Makes me want to go get a donut. Hey, there you go. <laughs> hey, everybody. I'm Pastor Jamie, and um, just want to take a moment and uh, recognize Mike Davis is up here on the stage with me. You can clap for Mike if you guys want. Mike is our men's ministry coordinator, and we thought, being that it's Father's Day, we would take a moment, get to know a little bit about Mike, and hear a little bit about what's going on in men's ministry. So uh, thanks for joining me, Mike. Um, Mike is like a ministry extraordinaire. He does a little bit of everything everywhere, and he's one of those guys that's at everything. And I've had the privilege of getting to know Mike uh, over the past few years, and so it's a blessing to have him here with us at Christ Church uh, leading our men. And so, you know, I know you tell the story about how when you were 15, you were chasing a girl and ended up finding yourself in a church and, you know, ended up kind of coming to know the Lord. And tell us a little bit about that. Well, there was a, uh, first of all, I grew up in a Christian home, and uh, uh, we had a, what well, back in the day, we called revival services, you know, and an evangelist come in, spoke five, five nights in a row, and uh, of course, I was there for all the right reasons. I went because of friends there and, and a young lady, and uh, uh, so well, the Lord had different, uh, different plans in mind. He uh, decided that on the third night of that week that I was there that, uh, that I needed to come to him. And he began to speak to my heart really big that night, and uh, and I that night realized my need for a uh, a savior because I was a sinner, and uh, that night I uh, ended up uh, turning my life to Christ. That's right. And you ended up not getting that girl, but that's I never, okay. Yeah, I never ended up dating her. Because yeah. just two years later, though, you would meet your wife. Well, the next year, actually, uh, age sixteen, I met next Kathy, year. and uh, we went on our first date, and. Uh, I uh, got married when we were 19, and we've been married 40 years. That's awesome. We can clap for that. That's good. Yeah. High school sweethearts. That's, mm-hmm. that's pretty good. And so you guys were married, and you had some kids, and, and you've got, I believe it's two sons and a daughter. That's correct. I nailed that. And one of them is a fighter pilot, and being Father's Day and Man Day, I think it's necessary to say he raised a fighter pilot, um, <laughs> which is pretty cool. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about your family. Uh, so I have a son 33 years old, uh, a son 31 years old, uh, a, the 31-year-old is a fighter pilot. The, uh, I have a daughter 28 years old, all three of them are married, uh, I have three grandchildren. Uh, one son lives in Maryland, a daughter lives in D.C., another son lives in Oregon. I saw them all last month. Going to see them all again in July. Anyway, that's, so that's pretty cool. That's good. So you went from this moment in your life where you accepted Christ as your Lord, and then you, you meet your incredible wife, because we all know behind every great man is a, is a super fantastic incredible and greater wife. woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then you had these children. And so, but it wasn't all sunshine and roses mm-hmm. there at the beginning of your marriage. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, uh, I said I'd commit, uh, committed my life to Christ when I was 15. When I got to about uh, 18, 19, I uh, began to pull away a little bit. Uh, Kathy and I got married. We moved from Greensburg, is where I grew up uh, and was raised and all that. We moved to the Pittsburgh area because of my career in the Boilermakers construction industry, if any of you know anything about that. And uh, uh, so we, I moved here. We couldn't find a good church. We looked real hard for a church that was teaching the Word of God. Couldn't find one. Uh, there are a bunch of country clubs is what we found. And so we uh, eventually just stopped trying and quit going to church altogether. Uh, started in the Boilermakers Union. There was a lot of... Uh, uh, a lot of uh, we'll say not clean living. Let's just say yeah. uh, uh, a lot going on. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and I made some of those guys my hero and decided I wanted to be like them. And so uh, I left uh, the Lord pretty big. You would have never known that I'd ever set foot in the church by the time I was 22. And um, I 
and the Lord was dealing with me. I drank a lot because, <clears throat> because the Holy Spirit of God had a hold of me and uh, wouldn't let me go and was pulling me. And I just kept drinking more and, and yelling at God because uh, I wanted him to leave me alone. And you had a wife I was and a angry. I was angry with my wife because she was praying for me. <laughs> I was angry with my mother because she was praying for me. And it uh, wasn't a very good picture, you know, as I was trying to run. And drinking killed uh, the Spirit of God in me so that I could go do what I wanted to do. And uh, that's where I was. Well, you had a divine appointment one night at a bar. Tell me a little bit about that. Uh, when I was uh, almost 23, um, went to a bar one night, uh, like, you know, normal, about three nights a week. And uh, started, had, a, had a beer, one, and was about ready to start the second one. And, uh, uh, and I had a divine appointment. Good, good way to say that. Uh, the Lord spoke to my heart sitting there that night. So did you uh, just hear like a voice and like how did you, what do you mean he spoke to you? Well, you just I mean, felt it or? I mean just as clear as I can hear you talking to me. <clears throat> you heard God audibly speak to you. God audibly spoke to me as so much so he, he just said, uh, uh, Mike, what are you doing with your life? Hmm. And, um, and I looked around because it was so clear to me. I'd, did, did, you know, did anybody else hear this? Nobody else heard it. And, uh, and I fully understood that it was God uh, speaking to my heart. And he, gave, he opened a window just for about three seconds of, uh, to, to show me just a little picture of what I was doing. I was destroying myself, destroying my marriage, destroying my family, uh, destroying uh, people that I was in contact with. And um, it was quite devastating uh, at that moment. And um, uh, again, he spoke to me a short time later and just said, uh, uh, when are you going to come back to me? After all, you're the one that left. I've been here all along. And I was really angry up to that point because my parents had taught me a lot of scripture when I was young. And... Uh, uh, and I couldn't get it out of my head. Drove me crazy. Uh, I was angry about that too. That's a good lesson. Yeah. And uh, but the Lord wouldn't let go of me, and that scripture always kept coming back to me. So I knew exactly what I was doing the whole way along. Mm. And so parents teach your kids scripture. They'll hate it later, but they'll, they'll come to love that. That's so cool. I taught my kids a lot of scripture when they were young. <laughs> and they all walk with the Lord and have so Christian spouses. So in that moment, you know, God said, "Why don't you come back?" You went back to Him, and, and so, you you really did because you went from from being this rebellious kid to, I mean, over a period of time, you, you ended up doing youth ministry, you found a healthy church, yeah. and... Yeah, that night I recommitted my life to Christ sitting at the bar, uh, simply prayed and said, Lord, I, I can't do this. If you want me to be a Christian, you're going to have to change my life, because I can't do it. And I willingly laid my life into his hands and said, uh, you've got to change me. And uh, within two weeks, uh, I began to realize that that was serious, and that he had a hold of me and was changing my life. And uh, so... Uh, Started studying the Word of God big, um, four nights a week or something like that for a while. I was out at Bible studies and just going crazy. Uh, so the rest is the history. Church. You you were uh, the young, is it Young Life? Uh, Youth for Christ. Youth for Christ leader at Moon High School for like a bajillion years. And there's a lot of you in this room who actually have been involved in Mike's ministry at one point. Um, and now you're the men's coordinator here at Christ Church for our men's ministry. If you had... You've got a group of guys right here with you right now. It's Father's Day. And obviously, that's all fathers want to do is come to church on Father's Day, right? So, mm -hmm. so you've got these fathers. What would you say to them about men's ministry? Why is it important for them to get involved in men's ministry? Well, first of all, go to the book of Matthew in the Bible and turn left. Go one page into Malachi, the last paragraph of the Old Testament, and it talks there about the Lord's coming. And he's going, uh, uh, that was 400 years before Christ. The Lord's coming. He's coming to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children or the hearts of the children to the fathers or else I'll come and strike the land with a curse. And, uh, nobody likes to be cursed. Nobody likes to be cursed. No. And so being involved in youth ministry, one of the things I saw very clearly was uh, young people that had the greatest chance of survival had godly fathers. And so the next step to go from youth ministry 
is to step into men's lives and to encourage men and for men to encourage me to walk together as brothers in Christ. Uh, we have a lot of things going on here that you can do that with. Uh, right now we're working on activity groups really big. I just this morning had somebody say, I'll head up a f anybody who wants to go fishing uh, on a regular basis, uh, a fishing ministry. It's a great ministry. Uh, <clears throat> for men to get together, to bond, not just to go have fun, but to bond and in, in encourage each other and to walk as brothers. Uh, we also have a fishing trip coming up Lake Erie, mm -hmm. uh, July 14 and July 18. Still uh, spots available. You can still sign spots up. available. There's a table set up out here. Uh, you can do that after the service, guys. Uh, check that out. But anyway, uh, why do we get together? It's because we need each other. We need to walk as brothers. We need to encourage each other to be uh, strong and courageous and to take a stand for our families, <clears throat> to rescue our families, uh, whatever stage of life you're in. If you're a grandparent, you need even more. So. You just said something fantastic there. It was be strong and courageous. And that's what we as men of God, as Christians, really, are, we're all called to be strong and courageous. Mike, thanks for what you do for us. Thanks for your obedience to the Lord. And uh, let's just take a moment and let's, let's pray for Mike. And let's pray for our dads while we're at it. If, and then uh, following that, we're going to take our tithes and offerings. So, God, we thank you and we love you. And for who you are in our lives, Lord Jesus, we, we praise you. And... Uh, we praise you for the responsibility that you've given to fathers, and we pray that you would help each one of us to take that calling seriously. Thank you for Mike's testimony about hearing you, God. And the difference between uh, some men and some, some Christians is, is sometimes we hear your call, but we fail to respond. And I thank you for the way that Mike has responded to your call. So we pray that you would bless the men of this church, the men's ministry, the ministry that Mike is involved in. God, we pray that you would be with our dads that you would let them know that they are significant in the lives of their families, that they are called by you to lead in a godly manner. And so, God, we're going to turn our service a little bit now as we uh, give you back a portion of what you have given to us to manage, which is our tithes and our offerings. And we, so we give you these things now, Lord Jesus, uh, expecting with great expectation that you will use them to further your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Mike. What a good morning. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Brad, happy Father's Day, wherever you're at. It's first Father's Day. It's good. It's good. We've we got one of our tech guys in the back who's waiting to have a Father's Day moment any minute as he's expecting uh, a newborn baby. Luke Good is expecting uh, the birth of a child literally at any second. So if you could be praying for that family, that'd be fantastic. Father's Day is a great day. Father's Day is a great day because it's a day where you see all the uniquenesses of dads kind of come out. And for one day of the year, it's okay. You know, dads will be sitting in their living room watching a war movie, drinking out of the two-liter bottle of Pepsi without a cup, and they're just doing their thing. And so Father's Day is a great day. And, and you know, I can think back to um, meeting my wife's dad. Speaking of fathers, I looked, I looked to my, my, uh, my, my father-in-law as really uh, the best dad I've ever seen. But it didn't start out that way because, you see, the first time I met him, I was terrified. I was dating this girl named Michelle Melton at Geneva College, and she had this weird obsession with, like, working out and weightlifting because, see, her dad, the way she described it to me, was a bodybuilder, okay? And all the guys in the room are understanding where I'm going with this. As a guy, that's not the dad you want to meet. It's not the dad when you go to, the, to your date's place for the first time. He's not the guy you want to walk into. Not only that. So I get to her house. She lived in Irwin, and I drove all the way out there, and I was really nervous because I really liked this girl. I met her at college. I really liked her, and I was meeting her dad for the first time. And, and I remember knocking on the door, and Bill Cower came to the door. She didn't tell me that her dad was like this monstrous bodybuilder guy with his square jaw, 
that with just this little thing in his chin, I mean, he just was like the ultimate man's man. I remember walking to the door going, oh man, I'm so dead. This guy's going to kill me. And he had like this look of like, I'm the ultimate dad. I'm the best man on the planet. I will break you if you even hold my daughter's hand look on his face. I was absolutely terrified. So I got to know Don a little bit and spent some time with him and, and came to realize that all of my fears about this man were absolutely right. That if I stepped out of line, he would break me in half. If, if I was going to do anything, he would eat my soul. I mean, Don was, he is a great dad. And not only was he the good earthly dad, he was a biblical guy. He knew the Bible. He loved Jesus. He loved God. And he made sure to drill me on my theology. And, and, and the first, one of the first things he asked me was, you love, you love Jesus, son? Yeah, I do. I do now. <laughs> and, 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 and I just appreciated that about him, that, that not only was he the man's man, he was also the spiritual man. And so I remember driving home after meeting him thinking, there's no way on earth I can ever, ever get as close to Michelle as I want to get because he's the perfect guy. There's no way if I want to marry this girl that I'm ever going to be able to fill these shoes. Have you ever had that moment in your life where you've been kind of put in a circumstance or a situation where the task ahead of you seemed overwhelming, it seemed like you couldn't do anything, like no matter how good that you were, you were not going to be able to be as good as the other guy. And I know it's my father-in-law, but in my heart and in my mind, I'm thinking, this guy's amazing, and I'm never going to be able to be that. I think his dad's, one of these other moments I had in my life where I was very overwhelmed, and I, and I tried to keep it a secret, is the moment I saw my son Brandon for the first time, my firstborn. Laying there and under that little incubator, looking all kinds of creepy as little babies do when they come out. And I looked at him, and he was just so beautiful. And I remember in that moment, as he grabbed my little pinky, and I've shared this with you before, understanding the love of God in a different way than I ever had. Thinking to myself, there's no way I would ever give my son, for, for any of you, sorry guys. <laughs> but I just was overwhelmed by the love of God for me. That he loved me so much that he could give his son for me. And I remember in that moment as Brandon held my little finger thinking, I am not ready for this. I have no idea what it means to be a dad. And I had this panic set over me and I, and I think I almost passed out. And I don't know about you dads. Did you have that moment when you, you get your wife and your newborn firstborn home and you're sitting on the couch and you kind of go, well, now what do we do? And in the hospital, there was nurses. There was always something to do. There was this, there was that, there was... And now we're at home, and there's like the Nintendos over there and baby over there, and what do we do? And I just remember in that moment crying out to God saying, Oh, Lord, I really need help because this is so much bigger than me. This is somebody's life that, that you've entrusted me with, and, and, and I'm, I'm just glad you trusted me to, to be alive, let alone be in charge of someone else's life. And so as dads... We have an overwhelming task ahead of us as we are in charge of these little ones that God has put before us, as we are responsible to lay our lives down for our wives, for our children, for our loved ones. And so in our story this morning, we come to the book of Joshua. We're starting a new series as we're looking at Old Testament profiles throughout the Bible, and I'm so excited about this series because there's a lot that we can learn. 
and you want to talk about a guy who, who is in an overwhelming circumstance, Joshua has been serving alongside of Moses. I don't know if you know this about Joshua, but in Joshua's life, he was originally giving the name Heshua. All right, and it's got an H in it. And Moses would later call him Joshua, but that name literally means salvation. And so he had this name, and a lot of us don't know this about Joshua, but on the very first Passover, where the Spirit of God would come over the city and the firstborn would be killed, Joshua was a little baby with blood on his doorstep. And he was spared at the first Passover. He was with Moses when they were led out of Egypt. He walked on the dry ground as Moses parted the river, the sea. He had seen God provide for the people of Israel. Joshua's first job with Moses was to be the guard of the place of prayer. Joshua would, would go out. Moses set a tent up outside of the village where he would go and he would be with God. And Joshua's job was to guard that tent and to stay at that place. So I'm willing to bet Joshua spent a lot of time in communion and prayer to God. Joshua was a servant of Moses. And Joshua was completely dependent on God. A complete servant of the Lord. He was picked one time by Moses to go out and to spy the land that God had promised Abraham. Went back in Genesis, God said to Abraham, I, I want you to get up and go, and I am going to give you a promised land, and I will make your nation great. And so Moses led the people out of Egypt, and they're heading towards that land. And, and Moses says to Joshua, I want you to go, and I want you to spy that land. I'm going to send one spy from every tribe. So there was 12 of them that went. And Joshua and Caleb were the only two that came back and said, God, God said we can do it, so we can do it. Joshua was a man of great faith, of great commitment. And unfortunately, Moses listened to the other ten, to the grumbling, to the griping. And the faith of Israel would lead them in a circle in the wilderness for 40 years because of their unwillingness to go and claim what God has already given them. But Joshua... Joshua was a man of character. Joshua was a man of strength. Joshua proved to be a soldier, a servant. And when Moses gave him the name Joshua, that name means Jehovah is salvation. So there's some very important things that we recognize in the life of Joshua because you see, Moses in Joshua 1 is dead. Moses has died. And so now Israel needs a leader. So if you have your Bible, I want to read something to you. Joshua 1, 1. It says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun. What a great last name. Moses. Uh, Moses' aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all the people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give you. So Moses was like the best leader that Israel had ever seen. And Joshua is just some punk kid who's been following around in his coattails the whole time, watching what God's doing. And now all of a sudden, God's saying, you're in charge, Joshua. You are the man. He says to Joshua, you have been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and I want you to now get up, and I want you to go claim the land that I have given to your people. I promised it to Abraham. I told Moses to go and grab it. But here we are, still on the other side of the Jordan. Joshua, you are going to cross that Jordan, and you're going to claim what I have given to my people. And in this moment, Joshua has a decision to make. 
Joshua has a decision like we as dads had a decision to make. We can either fight or we can flee. And it breaks my heart that in our society we have so many men that will flee. But Joshua did not flee. Because I love how it says this. It says this right here. It's so good. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river of the Euphrates and the Hittite country to the great sea of the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. God is even saying, go and take the land, and no one will be able to stand against you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead the people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. This is continuing in 8. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And I love verse 10. Because so many times in our lives as men, what ends up happening to us or as leaders, as Christians, as people, this is applicable for everybody. We have these defining moments in our lives where, where an event happens and God has put us in an event. He's put us in a moment. And in that moment, God is clearly telling us something, just like he audibly spoke to Mike Davis. Say, come back to me. God speaks to us and he says to us, I want you to fill in the blank. And in that moment, we either fight or we flee. And the question I have for you this morning is, what is the thing in your life that God is saying, I've already won this battle for you. You just got to go do it. Just got to go get out there. There's, what is that thing in your life right now that you're afraid to fight? I love what Joshua does here in verse 10. Joshua says, so he ordered the officers to, of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready, because three days from now we will cross the Jordan here to go and take possession of the land that the Lord uh, God is giving you on, uh, for, for your own. So the Lord tells Joshua, go get that land. Joshua doesn't sit around and go, well, I better contact my lawyers and create a great business strategy. Joshua doesn't go, well, can I have a couple minutes to pray about it, Lord? Can I sit here and can I do this? If God is telling you to do something, the proper response is to go do it. Joshua says to his people immediately after this, hey, in three days, we'll be packed up, ready to go, and we are going to go claim the land that God has promised us. So in a moment, Joshua becomes this, this leader that is taking his people to places that they have never been before. Out of his faith and out of his responsibility to God, he tells the people, get ready, because here we go. Did you know that Joshua also led people across the ground on dry land? Moses wasn't the only one to pull that trick. Because you see, the River Jordan, Joshua went out into the Ark of the Covenant, went out into it, and it dried, and the waters were withheld. And as Israel passed through on the dry ground, they took 12 stones, one for each tribe, and they would make a monument on the other side for what God has done for them. And one by one, the cities that stood in their way would fall. The most famous is Jericho. We all know that crazy story how Joshua marched around the walls of Jericho with trumpets making noise, praying, doing all that good stuff, and, and God delivered the city. 
Joshua won some ridiculous battles that by the military standards of this world, he should not have won. But that's the thing, is our God does not operate by the rules of this world. And if God has commanded you to go and to do something, if God has blessed you to be leading his people, if God has ordered you to go through something, he is not going to abandon you in it. He will walk there with you, and he will fight for you. A lot of us don't know this, but there's one occasion in the Bible where God himself is obedient to man. Did you know that? And those are the actual words of Scripture, that in Joshua 10, God listened to Joshua's commands and fought for the nation of Israel and destroyed an army with hailstones. Isn't that wild? That Joshua's faithfulness was so strong, and it's Joshua 10. I would highly encourage you to read it. Don't take my word for it. Check it out. It floors you. And it literally says, and God, for the first time and only time in history, obeyed man. And he fought for Joshua. God held the sun still while Joshua battled. So what was it about Joshua that made him so special? Well, there's three things that I found that I think do relate to us because, you see, Joshua, in, in the Hebrew, another name for that is Jesus. Did you know that? That the name Joshua, Yeshua, is also Jesus. And so Israel had their Jesus. They had their Joshua. They had their leader, and we, as, the, as, as Christians, we have Jesus who's coming to lead us. And as dads, we're called to lead our families. So what was so special about Jesus? Well, what was or about Joseph, jo- <laughs> Joshua, one of the J's. What was so special about Joshua is that his attitude affected his behavior. He knew three key things about God that if you have a pen and paper, I want you to write down right now. The first thing he knew is he knew that God was all-powerful. You think of the things that he saw from the time that he was in captivity to Egypt as a little kid, all the way through the desert, relying on manna, because after all, it was on Joshua's watch that the manna would stop. When they crossed over the Jordan into Canaan, they began to eat the produce that was on the other side of the river, and God said, you no longer need my manna, because you are in the promised land, and you will eat from the promised land. So Joshua saw all these signs of God. He saw how powerful God was and what made Joshua so, so incredibly uh, awesome and, and have great character was the fact that he knew that God was all-powerful. It was not, in fact, his sword skills that made him such a great leader. It was his submission to God's word because he knew God was all-powerful. He knew that God always keeps his promises. I mean, think about the things that Joshua saw God promise. Everything from a plague of frogs to go and take the land. He saw God do amazing things. And the question I have for you this morning is, what are the amazing things in your life that you have seen God do that you seldomly forget whenever the going gets tough? Joshua knew that his God is powerful. He knew that God keeps his word and God keeps his promises. And people, God has promised to to, to look out for us. God has promised to prepare a place for us. God has promised that he works for for the good of those who love him. And if God has promised those things for us, why do we live like we're defeated already? Because we shouldn't. Because we have a powerful God. We have a God who keeps his promises. And how do we know his promises? 
Well, we know God's promises by being in his word, by studying his scriptures. If you want to know what God's promising to you, then read the word of God. Joshua meditated on the word of God day and night. He knew it in his heart. And by knowing the word of God, he knew God. And he recognized his voice when he spoke. Thirdly, God is always with us. I want you to grab the tuba section and take that town. Now think about that. A lot of times we, we, we create this fantasy children's story out of the Battle of Jericho. But I want you to think about, would you have the courage to grab a trumpet and to storm a fortified city? That makes no sense at all, does it? The only sense that that makes is that God said to do it. And what doesn't even make any more sense is the fact that it worked. And so in all of our lives, we need to have that faith that that God is with us. And if he says that he's going to be with us, no matter how ridiculous the story may seem, no no matter how unsurmountable or how unaccomplishable the goal may seem, if God has told you to do something, it will work. He's looking for those crazy people who have enough faith to storm a city gate with a trumpet. What is that in your life? What is that Jericho in your life that God is saying, I just want you to be obedient? That maybe we're too afraid or we think God can't do it. He's not big enough. But the reality of it is, is God is big enough. He can do all things. He can dry up a sea. He can destroy a city with hail. Or he can knock down walls with a jazz section. (laughs) Think about that. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't something made up for children. This is real life. Sometimes, I've heard it said before that if if God's asking you to do something that's easy and makes sense, it's probably not God. But if God's asking you to do something ridiculously crazy that sounds like it would never work, do it, because that's totally God. So what is it in your life right now that by man's standards looks ridiculous, but by God's standards, he's telling you to go and to take that land? The spies that when Joshua went out when they were spying on Canaan they were told that they would never be able to take the land because the people were too mighty. And for 40 years, they wandered around and, and constantly those people would come down out of the hill country and they would, they would attack the, the Israelites. And they were a smaller army because they didn't have God. God plus, plus anything. God minus any. God, God is the majority. God will win. God makes any army superior. God makes any of us Superior if it's his plan, if it's his will. So if God's put something on your heart, don't be a coward. Be strong and courageous and know that he is God. Men, we've been given a mandate from God to take care of our families. I don't know what your circumstance is right now, whether it's a lost child, whether it's an addiction, whether it's, I don't know, a broken marriage. It's time to man up and it's time to be strong and courageous and take that land that God has already promised to you in a healthy, God-fearing marriage. We are completely inadequate for anything that this life throws at us. But with God, we are completely ready and suited and ready for battle and there will be victory. Warren Wearsby is a, a, a writer that I've just grown to really appreciate and he says this when talking about Joshua. He goes and he he makes reference to how Jesus 
is our Joshua. He's our leader. He says, Jesus Christ wants to lead us on a conquest and share with us all the treasures of his wonderful inheritance that he has blessed us with, all spiritual blessings. It comes from Ephesians 1.3. And then Wearsby says this, but too often we as Christians live like defeated paupers. You realize the battle has already been won. Whatever that thing is in your life that God is calling you to, the battle has already been won. Jesus has overcome. And the only reason that we're defeated is because we are defeating ourselves. We're allowing Satan to win a battle that he's already lost. Does that make sense? And Joshua knew that. Joshua knew that with God, he could not be stopped. And one by one, 31 kings fell to Joshua, and Israel claimed the land that God had promised to Abraham because of one man's ridiculous, stupid faith to do what God told him to do. What's God doing in your life? What's God speaking to you? And are you obeying? God doesn't call us to go and win these battles on our own. He says, I've already fought the battle for you. I'm already winning the battle. Just get up here with me. But yet we're afraid because we live like paupers and we're afraid that we're going to lose because we have a little mindset of God. But our God is not dead. He is big. He is alive. As I wrote on Facebook this week, we have a hefty Jesus who loves victory. And the battle has been won. So I say this to you, church. Be strong. Be courageous. Wives, love your husbands. Treat them with love. Treat them with respect. I, I get brokenhearted as I watch the emasculation of men in public all the time as women treat their men horribly and make biting remarks and tease them. and It breaks my heart. Men, love your wives. Lay down your, your life for them. Cherish them the way that Christ cherished his bride. Parents, love your children, for they are a blessing. And children, love your parents, for they're a gift from God. We're called to be strong and courageous, especially in our families. And I don't know what circumstance you're in right now, because we all have unique ones, but God has already won the battle. Submit. Give in to him. Follow him. And I promise you, in that ridiculous faith, he will do something amazing and will lead you to places you never thought you could go. So, Father, we love you and we thank you. We thank you that you are all-powerful, that you are a keeper of promises, and that you are with us in every moment of our lives. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to be like Joshua, that we would commit to the plan he said to his people, get up because we're going. And then they did it. God, help us to be believers like that. Help us to be people who hear you speaking to us. Maybe not audibly, Lord, but we, we can feel you in our heart and in our mind or we, we just know that you're calling us to something, God. And, and sometimes we're disobedient because we're afraid. But God, help us to not be afraid because you can hold the sun still. You can cause a sea to go dry. You can knock down walls with trumpets. Help us to believe in you, God. Help us to have faith. Help us to be like Joshua and to not hold back. 
And that regardless of how ridiculous the circumstances may be, regardless of the shoes that we're called to fill, we pray, God, that you would let us know that with you in our lives, we have everything we need. It's in your name we pray. Amen.